to you our first Bible reading this morning from the book of Revelation, chapter 19. And I'm going to be reading the first section of it, verses 1 to 10. It's entitled, A Threefold Hallelujah Over Babylon's Fall. The book of Revelation, chapter 19, beginning at verse 1. Let's hear God's word. After this, I heard what sounded like a roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitutes who corrupted the earth by her adulteries, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Again, they shouted, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne and they cried amen hallelujah then a voice came from the throne saying praise our God all you his servants you who fear him both great and small and then I heard what sounded like a great multitude like the roar of a rushing waters and like a loud peals of thunder shouting hallelujah For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. This is God's word. May he bless it to us. Pastor David. morning everybody thank you for praying for my throat and uh, can I say on behalf of Rosemary and I thank you for praying for us as well during our uh, recent uh, dilemma with uh, house break-in car thefts and everything else quite new to us I think we're still recovering nothing's been recovered so if you've been asking about that no it's all gone now Um, but thank you for praying for us and God is gracious isn't he we just I don't know what I don't know what I'm doing but I know that God's doing something God's doing something because I don't quite know what I'm doing. (laughs) So thanks for praying. Uh, Let me continue to read this magnificent, what an incredible chapter we've got here. What amazing God's word is, isn't it? Let me keep reading because these are the things that we're going to be involved in, church, uh, in in these days when this takes place. You and I, we're going to be involved in this. Verse 11, let me keep reading to the end of the chapter. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dripped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. 
And on his robe and on his thighs, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come, gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings and generals and the mighty of horses and their riders and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gather, gathered to, uh, together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulphur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider and the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Loving Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the exciting uh, scriptures that are before us and, and the things that we as God's people can look forward to without fear or condemnation if we belong to Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that your spirit will move amongst us here today to open our minds and our hearts to the things that you want us to see and hear and to respond to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, as you probably know, last weekend, uh, Rosemary and I were at a wedding in country Victoria at a place called Currajong near Taralgon. And I was asked by my, my niece Holly, my brother's daughter, to lead the first part of the wedding ceremony and then to say the grace at the reception. Uh, both Holly and her husband Clinton are committed Christians and they wanted Christ to be central at their wedding as he was in their own personal lives. And it was a, it was a great joy for us and a real honour to, uh, to, uh, to be part of such a wedding. And it always is. <laughs> you know, I can remember uh, once hearing a pastor saying to a Christian couple as he officiated at their wedding, he said, because you both have invited Christ to your wedding and invited him into your marriage, he's invited you to his. And of course, what he was referring to was what John uh, heard the angel say to him in verse 9 of chapter 19. Let me read those words again. Then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these words, these are true words of God. Just to add that final stamp of authority and power and truth. These words are true words of God. But before I want to share some thoughts about this amazing wedding supper of the Lamb, let me briefly put some context around this because I want to hone in on this particular wedding here today. So verse 1 of chapter 19 begins by saying, after this. What does that mean? Or in other words, um, after these things. And by this, uh, the Apostle John, of course, he's referring to what happened in chapter 18, which had to do with the fall of, you know, the, fall of the destruction of Babylon. Babylon. Just to put that simply, Babylon, to put it simply, represents everything that is evil, debased, perverted, rotten and demonic. That's really what B Babylon represents in this particular world system and world order. We're, so we're living in Babylon, if you like, in this context. 
We're living in a world that's rotten to the core. And, um, and it's not surprising uh, to hear, as Chuck, Chuck Swindoll said, he says that when something as dangerous and as despicable as the Antichrist kingdom or Babylon meets its just end, God's people will rejoice with joyful chorus of hallelujahs. Not gloating over it, but just saying praise God that this suffering and this evil is gone. And indeed, we see these joyful hallelujahs. There's, there's four of them. And uh, as Pastor Darrell uh, read to us, so they're in, they're in uh, verse 1 and verse 3 and verse 4 and verse 6. Hallelujah. From what I understand, it's, a, it's an international word that means the same thing in every language. Hallelujah. It means praise, uh, praise be to God. Praise the Lord. And the thing that I also found interesting, I guess, was that in this particular chapter, it's the only place in the entire New Testament where you will see the word hallelujah mentioned. In the New Testament, right here. This is where you will see it, and only here. And how appropriate that this word should be here in response to the removal of everything debased and hostile towards Christ and his bride, the true church. And what a sharp contrast you may or may not have also noticed here between the fall of the prostitute or the harlot and the marriage of the lamb. What, a, what an incredible contrast between those two things. In fact, one commentary, Jameson, Fawcett and Brown, in their commentary, they just said this. They said, individually, believers are effectually called guests, so that's good to hear that. They constitute, but collectively, they constitute the bride. So individually, we're guests, but collectively, we constitute the bride of Christ. And that's one, one particular take on it, and there are others that have got other views on that, but this is, I probably like this one. And then he goes and he says this, he says, the harlot, this is the contrast here, the harlot divides her affections amongst many lovers. The bride gives hers exclusively to Christ. That's the difference. Perhaps more on that later on. And then from verses 11 to 21, we see a new aspect of Christ is revealed. We see Christ is the conquering king. He's the, he's the conquering Christ equipped for war. And his titles describe his character and his power. He's called faithful and true in verse 11. He's called the word of God in verse 13. He's called the king of kings and the Lord of lords in verse 16 of chapter 19. You know, and I don't know, I, I can't help but think with a God like that, who would be so foolish to oppose a true multi-titled victorious God? Who'd be so foolish to oppose a God like that? But then you've got to say, well, his enemies are fools. True? If you're an enemy of God, I've got to say to you, you're a fool. How can you stand against a God like this? How can you oppose him? You don't win. Satan wants you to think so, but he's a loser and he's already lost. And here we see, along with his heavenly armies, he descends to meet the armies of the Antichrist in the last battle. We don't have any detailed description of what happened in that particular battle, but we know this. 
the victory is absolutely complete. The war is won. It's over. <clears throat> you and I have got some battles, but the war is won. Christ is king. Satan is defeated. And church, we need to lay hold of that truth and shout hallelujah right now for that fact, that glorious truth. And then centrally placed within this chapter, chapter 19, which I think is pretty significant that it is actually centrally placed, that's my view, is the wedding supper of the Lamb. And in these magnificent verses from verses 7 to 9, there's three things I'd just like us to consider thoughtfully this morning. Just three things about this amazing wedding that we have here in these verses. This is the first one. Whoops. This is the first one. Firstly, there's the invitation. Look at this. The invitation. Verse 9. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And the word blessed here, as you may know anyway, it, 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 well, you won't know this bit possibly. It, this is the fourth of seven Beatitudes that we find in the book of Revelations. Blessed. It's mentioned, four to mentioned seven times. This is the fourth one here in the book of Revelation. And the word means the same as it did when Jesus used it in the Beatitudes that he brought in Matthew 5, 1 to 11. And though it means in the English to be happy, it really means happy are those in the English translation, it, it's got a lot more depth to that. It does have a deeper meaning. It means the ultimate of well-being. It means a deep spiritual joy that comes from knowing Christ. That's what it means. You know, and this morning I wonder if you're here and you know in your heart of hearts what this kind of blessedness means in your own life. You see, it comes from, not from what the world gives us, but it will only come. This blessedness we're talking about here only comes from knowing Christ as your Lord and Saviour and therefore accepting His invitation to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And in the parable of the great banquet in Luke chapter 14, it's also found in Matthew 22, Jesus also illustrates what he means by this invitation. Look at this, just very briefly here. Matthew, uh, Luke 14, 16 to 18, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests at the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. Down to verse 21, The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry. And he ordered his servants, Go out quickly to the streets and to the alleys of the town and, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. And I believe that you and I are in that category. You know, the invitation that Rosemary and I received to the wedding in Victoria uh, this last weekend, it came months ago. and We knew about it. and It gave us plenty of warning to prepare for that. And we accepted it gladly. But sadly, and I've got to be careful what I say here, sadly we know that there were some very close relatives of ours who were also invited, that they did not accept the invitation. And look, to be all fair, in all fairness, that was probably legitimate reasons. But the fact is that they didn't accept the, the, the invitation. 
for various reasons, I suppose. And you know, in a similar way, though many are invited, not all, not all accept this invitation, this invitation into the kingdom of God through faith in Christ. And nor will it be, uh, therefore, to the wedding supper of the Lamb. They won't accept that either. You know, John, uh, Jesus spoke of this very thing when in Matthew's version of the great banquet in Matthew 22 and verse 14, he says this, For many are invited, but few are chosen. Many are invited. We're all invited. But only few are chosen. Only few will take up that invitation. It's how it is today. And it reminds me of another part in God's Word where I see another invitation given, or an invitation. Basically, it's the same. Come to Christ. That's really what it is. And I see the same invitation given, to these, given in these following verses. And look what happens in these verses. John chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. He came, Jesus, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him, did not accept the invitation. Verse 12, though, yet to all who did receive him, to those who do receive his invitation, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God. Invitation, people accept it, others reject it. Wonder, where are you in that category today? Many of you have already accepted it. Your name's on the guest list already. Some of you here may not be. You can do something about that today. Because I could be speaking to you this morning, and I'm sure I am speaking to you this morning, where you know, you know that Jesus has come to you before. And you didn't receive him. Something stopped you. You were blocked from something of receiving him. Satan's lying to you and you're believing his lies. You know that the Lord's come to you and you haven't accepted his invitation. Let me ask you this morning, are you ready to do that now? Are you ready to do that right now? Right where you're sitting. There is nothing stopping you from saying, Jesus, see my heart. I am a sinner. You died for me on the cross. I want to repent of that sin. I believe on you now because I want to be in that kingdom. I want to be part of that marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus, I believe your word. I believe you died. You can do that. Whatever words you use, if it's from your heart, right where you're sitting now, your name could appear on that invitation list and you'll be at that marriage supper of the Lamb. It's up to you. You've got no excuse, really, dear friend. See, listen to this promise from God again. This is an invitation that goes like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Your invitation, believe on him. You'll not perish, but have eternal life. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 9, the angel said to John, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And it means really those who have also accepted that invitation. So firstly, at this wedding supper, there is the invitation. Secondly, there is the celebration. Invitation, 
followed by celebration. Look at verses 6 to 8. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of, a rush, of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! <clears throat> For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Don't we sing that sometimes? Amen. Let us rejoice, verse 7, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. It was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. And again, just like the wedding in Victoria, and like most other weddings I'm sure that you've been to, they are, they ought to be, and most of them are joyful occasions, joyful celebrations, like the one that we went to. The bride always, you know, they look gorgeous. She's completely draw, uh, wore white. She was in white, and, and the groom was pretty good looking, all right, as well. You know, he was all right. But the bride wore white. She was in that beautiful linen. You know, and the couple, when they have decided to join together as husband and wife, they do spend a significant amount of time in planning, you know the story, planning, saving, stressing, and preparing for that day. My brother Peter phoned me early last week to discuss my role in the sermon, and he said, and he said of the couple, he said, they just, they're just so looking forward to the day. They're just so looking forward to it. Isn't that wonderful? And it was a day of joyful celebration. John MacArthur in his book, Because the Time is Near, he says this. He, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> a marriage was the single greatest celebration and social event of the biblical world. Isn't that interesting? A marriage was the single greatest celebration and social event of the biblical world. And we know that the wedding preparations and celebrations back in those days, there was a lot more involved than they are today. A Jewish wedding consisted of three distinct stages. And, and again, I'm sure most of you are aware of this. Mary and Joseph, they come under this category. And I want to read to you very briefly, what, just briefly, what this, this, these three stages were about in a Jewish wedding. Here it goes. The first one. The first was the betrothal or engagement. This was an arrangement by both sets of parents contracting the marriage of their children. It was legally binding and could only be broken by divorce. And that is given in Matthew 1, 18 to 19. The second stage of a wedding was the presentation, a time of festivities just before the actual ceremony. Those festivities could last up to a week or more, depending on the economic or social status of the bride and groom. The third and the most significant stage was the actual ceremony, <coughs> during which the vows were exchanged. At the end of the presentation festivities, the groom and his attendants would go to the bride's house and take her and her bridesmaids to the ceremony. After the ceremony would come the final meal, followed by the consummation of the marriage. And as you read these words in Revelation 19, 6 to 8, it is a picture of the whole of heaven in celebration, shouting and rejoicing, not only because our Lord God Almighty reigns, but because the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. One thing is for certain, 
this will be the most significant wedding in the whole of creation with unparalleled celebration more than at any other time it's a wedding celebration not to be missed so again let me ask you are you on the wedding list are you on that guest list you cannot afford to miss this particular wedding no excuses will work with this one it's what the Lord Jesus himself was looking forward to with great joy and anticipation it's amazing to think of this it was what he was looking forward to as he, as he met with his disciples for the Last Supper when he said these words to them in Matthew 26, 29, for example, <coughs> when he said this, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I will drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. He's talking about this. What about the writer to Hebrews? In Hebrews 12, verse 2, did you, have you noted these words? Speaking of Jesus, it says this, Who for the joy set before him, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. But who for the joy set before him endured the cross? What was that joy that he was speaking about here in Hebrews? Well, it's this, as I said, it's this. This is the day where he knew he would finally be with his bride, with his church, with his people, and they with him forever at his wedding. That's what he was looking forward to. That's how he could endure the cross because he knew what was beyond that. And that's how you and I can endure the stuff that goes on in our lives because we know this isn't the end. This is just part of the journey. We know there's a destination. And that's the destination that we're talking about right now in Jesus. I want to mention a couple of things about these words. <coughs> Pardon me, in verses <coughs> 7 and 8. Because we had those mentioned to us and I sort of thought about them and I had a couple of different commentaries on it and I want to confuse you a bit more with these, so I'll read them out to you. But those verses 7 and 8, it says this, And his bride made herself ready... Verse 8, fine linen and bright and clean was given to her to wear. And in brackets in the NIV, it's got fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. It's an interesting one. Warren Worsby's commentary, he said this, and he, and he quotes a Dr. Lenham Strauss, who writes this. Has it ever occurred to you that at the marriage of the bride to the lamb, each of us will be wearing the wedding garment of our own making? What a solemn thought, he says. Now, I struggled a bit with that because, and I know I've got to tread carefully here, but I'm going to say it anyway. This particular view, if it's not held in its correct context, see, I know that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There's stuff that we will be judged for, assessed on, if you like, and we know that. But, if, but, but what I'm thinking here is that we need to be very careful because, in my opinion, if we don't hold this, this particular verse in its right context, Text. It can easily be misunderstood to mean that, okay, on top of my salvation by faith in Christ alone, I can still earn more righteous points, and I probably need to, because I want to have the brightest garment. So does it mean that it all, come, it all comes back to what I have to do to kind of earn that righteousness? Do you know what I mean? 
here on the earth? Because it says in brackets here. Um, where does it say that again? Uh, I've lost it. Verse 8. Yeah, yeah, fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Fine linen, the righteous acts. Hmm. All right. And then I like, to, I like what Albert Barnes says in his, ver- in his commentary about these verses. He says this. For the fine linen represents the righteousness of the saints or is an emblem of it. It should be remarked, however, that it is understood here, as it is everywhere in the scriptures, that this is not their own righteousness, for it is said that it was given to the bride, to the saints. It is the gracious bestowment of their Lord, and the reference here must be to that righteousness which they obtain by faith, the righteousness which results from justification through the merits of the Redeemer. Of this Paul speaks when he says this in Philippians 3.9. Note that, Philippians 3.9. It says this, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So it just kind of balances that a little bit. I sort of lean towards what Albert Barnes is saying. Um, You need to make up your own mind. I've either confused you more or made it clearer. But hopefully it'll get you exploring these passages yourself, either personal study or in your connect groups. Have a look at them. Talk about it. Read some of the commentaries on it. Have a bit of a think and discussion about it. But look, when all is said and done, just hear this. Simply and importantly, we all need to be clear about this. Love the Lord with all your heart. As a Christian, you love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. We know that. Listen to what he says and put his word into practice. I think if you do that, you won't go too far wrong. Do you love the Lord with all your heart? Listen to what he says and do it. John 14, 21 is a good verse to put down in your, if you're taking notes. John 14, 21 speaks about your love is demonstrated to Christ by the fact that you obey what he says. John 14, 21. Let me keep moving. At this wedding supper then in Revelation 19, there is firstly the invitation. Secondly, there is the celebration. And then finally, there is the consummation. The consummation. I've got to say, the one of the most honest, I think, touching, and I have to say rare, things that I heard at any wedding, but at this wedding last weekend, was when the groom said to me kind of privately and personally, quietly, he said to me, we, he's thinking about his bride-to-be, he says, we have both kept ourselves from any premarital sexual behaviour. He says, because we wanted to have this special gift of our virginity, of our purity, to give to each other tonight. And then he says, I'm so looking forward to that. It's a typical red-blooded man. Of course he'd say that. But isn't that fantastic? And I believe God honoured that couple for doing that. They just said, no to the world. We're not going to do that. We're going to honour God by keeping ourselves for each other on our wedding night. Now, look, I know that not all of us have done that. And I know that God's grace is amazing and his blood cleanses us from all sin. 
beautiful truth too. But isn't this how God intended a marriage to be consummated between the bride and his groom? Isn't how God intended it to be? And look, I know this isn't a sermon on marriage per se, but I, I want to tell you this. Sex outside of marriage is not okay with God. Please let, them, let our young people, our older I don't care who you are, but you need to hear that today. Sex outside of marriage, pre-marriage, is not okay with God. Please read the word and you'll see that for yourself. It never has been, it never will be okay with God. And anyone who tells you different, and there are Christians who believe it's okay to sleep with one another and, and muck around sexually with each other before their marriage, I want to tell you they're wrong. And you're spoiling the most beautiful thing that you can give to each other on your, on your wedding night by mucking around with that stuff before you're married. God didn't intend it to be that way. He wanted to give you the best. So give each other the best by keeping yourselves pure. And don't listen to the garbage that the world spews out to our young people, almost mocking you and ridiculing you if you're a virgin. As I said, this is not a lecture on a sermon on marriage, but there you go. You know my feelings on it. And our young people need to hear that, church, and not feel ashamed. Matthew 19, Jesus says these beautiful words. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Interestingly, Paul in, the, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 31, he quotes this same scripture that Jesus quoted. But then under the leading and, and inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, he adds these words straight after what Jesus had quoted when he quoted from, uh, from Genesis 2. Paul says this in Ephesians 5.32. He says, this is a profound mystery. He says, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And it is a profound mystery. For it's beyond our human understanding to be able to fathom the coming magnificence, the coming reality, and the wonder of the consummation of Christ and his bride, the church. But through the scriptures, we get a glimpse. It's just a glimpse. Indeed, it's a poor reflection. As Paul says, when he says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, he says, for now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror and it was a very poor one you've heard that you know the mirrors back in those days were bronze it used to kind of corrupt the image it was a very poor image and that's what paul's saying now we only see like looking in that very poor reflected mirror but then he says then when that day comes then we shall see him face to face he says now we know it now i know in part but then then I shall know fully <clears throat> as I am fully known. Just as you are fully known by God, you will fully know him. I don't know how that works. Can we fully know God? But we will see him as he is. Let me keep moving. When a husband and a wife 
consummate their marriage. They begin to know each other more fully and experience a deeper intimacy than they have ever known before. That's how God intended it to be. It's what God planned. It's what God created when he created the marriage relationship between a, listen to this please, between a man and a woman. Exclusively. In the same way, and I might get pinched for doing saying that, there'll come a day we'll get fined for saying stuff like that. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Listen to what God says. In the same way, it was God's intention that in Christ, his church, being his bride, would know a deeper intimacy with her bridegroom when she is presented to him pure and faultless at the wedding supper of the Lamb, reigning with him forever. Hey, just have a look at this other little glimpse quickly of the consummation of the Lamb, the bride. Look at this, Revelation chapter 21, verse 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And dear friends, as I said before, this is a wedding that will be unlike any other wedding. This is a wedding that is not to be missed. And you won't miss it if you accept the invitation from Jesus Christ and receive him into your life as your Lord and Saviour. Amen? Can I just ask us to close our eyes in prayer for a minute, please? If you're wondering this morning, how, how do I accept Jesus Christ? Let me give you a very simple illustration or, or an example. This is how you do it. You see, God knows your heart. He's not so concerned about the words that come out of your mouth as he is with the attitude of your heart. That's what he looks at. And here's a little suggested prayer that you can pray. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted Christ, you've never prayed a prayer like this, you're a little bit doubtful about whether you'll be at that wedding supper this prayer prayed from your heart will guarantee your invitation here it goes this is what it goes you pray it in your heart if this is you god knows your heart pray this prayer dear lord jesus i realize that i have been running my own life and i have sinned against you thank you for dying on the cross for my sins I want to be the kind of person you want me to be. I repent of my sin. And Lord, I ask that you come into my life and be Saviour and Lord. And I want to thank you for dying for me. I want to thank you for giving me the gift of eternal life. And Lord Jesus, I gratefully accept your invitation to the wedding supper of the Lamb. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Dear friend, if you prayed that prayer, I'd love to hear you come up and say, hey, I prayed that prayer. Pastor Darrell, anyone else, ask someone else or tell someone else that you've prayed that, that particular prayer. Father, we do thank you again for our time together here this morning. Do pray you bless us as hearers and that we would become doers of your word in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. Thank you that you have everything prepared for us. Just help us to accept you. Believe on you, trust you, 
walk with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless your church.